Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to your God's Love podcast. I'm Haley Helveston. This podcast is all about holistic health, sacred sexuality, and spirituality. I have Lauren Gerson here, and she's the author of The Invisible Corset. She's a body connection coach, and she's the founder of EmpoweredSustenance.com. Welcome. Thank you so much, Haley. So glad to be here. Yes, you're welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I thought we are both on in similar missions to empower people to have healthier relationships with their bodies. So go into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, I started in the holistic health world about 10 years ago, and it was through my own uh, journey with an autoimmune disease. I was very severely ill and bedridden when I was 18, and the doctors had of course, told me that, well, it's incurable and nutrition won't help and all you can do is take the drugs, yada, 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 same story. So I, at that point, came across a book that outlined this dietary protocol for my specific disease. And within three days of doing that, my acute symptoms were gone. And it was such a miracle. And then within about three months, I was off all my meds. I was feeling so much better. It was profound. And um, the biggest that was the biggest shift in my life and entrance into this world as um, a practitioner and a body connection coach because I realized all along my body was on my side. You know, because the Western medicine perspective of autoimmune disease is your body is trying to kill you and you need the intervention of Western medicine to save you from your body. And that shift with the nutrition protocol and realizing oh my goodness, all along my body knew how to heal me. I just had to listen to her, give her the tools that she was wanting, make changes according to what she was suggesting, and she was going to take care of me. And um, so from there, I became a nutritional therapist. And after a while, after years of, of writing my blog, Empowered Sustenance, and, and working with people just through nutrition and supplement protocols, that's when I made this other shift because I realized, okay, that is super helpful. Like we can make a lot of healing through those avenues. But then at one point we get to this point where we need to graduate beyond the rule book of these specific protocols and actually look deeper at what are the lifestyle choices or what are the um, deeper intuitive messages from our bodies that we're ignoring. And if we can tap into that, we can experience this next level of health and freedom. Um, so that's where I, I did develop this system, body connection coaching, based on my work as an intuitive and a lot of these other modalities, energy-based modalities, intuitive modalities. Um, and then the connection with my book is I realized one of the biggest barriers for women getting in touch with that intuitive voice in ourselves is this invisible corset, this culturally inherited set of beliefs that make us uh, see our bodies as machines to control rather than wise beings to trust. Mm, preach. I love it. Woo. Um, and I love how you say that because, you know, I know several people that have autoimmune disorders. And you're right about that. People that have that are taught that their body is like this enemy and is destroying itself. But I love how you said that your body was trying to heal you all along. You just had to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I write in my book and I tell my clients is your body is your first and most enduring soulmate. Like she truly has your best interest at heart. And if you can start to con communicate and listen to your body as you would a spouse, you know, that's how you're going to find peace and healing long term. 
Yes, I love that. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I used to be on antidepressants when I was in corporate America. And it's so interesting, too, because we have that belief here that, oh, don't worry about it. You're anxious. Oh, you can take a pill. Oh, you have side effects? Because I remember going to the psychiatrist and she said, yeah. I was doing all these side effects. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. We can put you on another pill. This is not a big deal. I'm like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had that uh, similar journey as well. I was put on an antidepressant when I was 12. Mm. And uh, it was so ridiculous. I look back. Now I've read all the scientific literature on how inefficient uh, any kind of psychotropic drugs are in the long term. They're really proven to not support mental health in the long term. They completely correlate with worse mental health outcomes, meaning intensity, duration, repetition of mental health um, episodes in the long term, especially for kids and teens. There's just no scientific literature suggesting this is a useful intervention. Um, and at that time, you know, I was dealing with family issues, I had an eating disorder, I had all these underlying factors that weren't addressed. And um, so that is actually another point of my passion is helping women reconnect with their intuition and the full spectrum of our, of our emotions, um, which includes dark night of the soul spiritual suffering, and um, using that as an avenue to make really dramatic, imperative life choices and life changes. You know, our culture just helps, it actually enables um, people to stay in terribly unhealthy situations instead of using all of the cues that our body is saying, no, change, move, get out, do something different. Yes, I love that. Yeah, and I look back on that time period, and it's like, oh, well, no wonder why you're not having orgasm. You're dealing with all this stress, you're taking all these antidepressants, you're in a job you hate, duh. Duh. It's the same thing what you're saying. Hello? Yep. yep. <laughs> Yep. And yeah. of course, there's that big piece where our nervous system has to be in a, in a parasympathetic state, that rest or digest state to really experience deep pleasure, you know, those kind of soul expanding sexual experiences and orgasmic experiences. And if we're in the, the fight or flight state of our nervous system, if our nervous system is locked in that place from trauma and daily stress, like, oh, good luck enjoying your body. Oh, really? Well, yeah, and I've worked with women that can't have an orgasm without a vibrator. And it's like, well, yeah, duh, because you're so disconnected from your body. That's the only thing that helps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so go into, because I love the part about what you said about connecting women, women and for the men listening, to um, emotion, to their emotions and to their intuition. Because that's something I love how more and more people are discussing because we've been taught to not listen to our intuition. <laughs> right, right. Because, well, the reason is because our intuition will take us on a path that is not logical, that other people won't approve of, other people won't understand. We won't have a way to justify these choices because only in hindsight do they make sense. Um, and so, well, I think what would be helpful is I could give a little, little overview of what I call the strings of the invisible corset. And these are like the major components, these psychological forces in our world that actually prevent wider perception and connecting with our sixth sense. Would that be useful? Yes, do it. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. I love it. Mm -hmm. So the first string of, of the corset is fear. And especially for women, this is just so evident when we look at, we've been taught to be afraid of our body size, our body shape, our skin, our hair, our, um, emotions that's a big one like i mentioned 
and our aging process, that's another huge one too. And women don't recognize that that is actually a form of internalized oppression, that we believe the signs of age on our body is something to fight and erase, where literally if we're doing that, we are fighting and erasing the truth of our lives. And if we're afraid of our age, we are partly afraid of who we truly are. Um, and uh, another aspect, I talk about this in my book, is how we are taught to be afraid of our authentic sexuality. When our sexuality doesn't match up with the commercialized, commodified, pornographied, very toxic imagery that we get, uh, which is all about making money from women's bodies. It's not about women experiencing pleasure or body connection. Um, and I think a key here is understanding that we often confuse performing sexy as actually feeling sex, sex sexual in our bodies. Like women get or labiaplasty, you know, all these kinds of cosmetic surgeries that actually are shown to de decrease our own pleasurable sensations. Like breast implants can cause nipple numbness. And yet we're doing this because we're like, oh, this will make me more sexy and more confident. No, you are literally doing the opposite of what is going to bring you more sexual pleasure. And that's because we have these, these completely mixed messages. So I think that true em women's empowerment around sexuality looks like examining these messages and um, actually reconnecting to our bodies and making choices that make us feel most physically comfortable and pleasurable. Mm. And I'm so glad you brought up that point, though, because I remember I was in it with a group of friends who were at dinner once. One of the guys mentioned that one of his ex-girlfriends did that, the labia posse. Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe that that's actually a thing. Isn't that crazy? It's hor horrifying to me. I mean, I was so shocked that, oh, great, now we have an arbitrary beauty standard for our labia. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> everything's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and what's really interesting is I do think this is because we have this strange fear of nudity while at the same time we're in such a pornographied environment. So we are only seeing a certain spectrum of women's bodies that have been deemed appropriate for screens. And we're not in environments where we're just interacting with re real women's naked bodies. Like I think that going to nude hot springs, going to nude beaches is actually a very a very helpful thing for body image. Um, and I mean, just, you know, I, in those environments, you're respectful, you don't run sexual energy while you're there. You just, you, it, it can be a very healing and freeing process. Mm, I love how you said that. Yeah. Cause I think that we have such a realist, unrealistic, you're right. Ex expectation about that. And when you really think about it, like no woman's body's perfect. We all have different shapes and sizes. Um, well, yeah. I would say there is no perfect. Very true. You're like, right. You know, yeah. like I think that suggesting that there is a quote ideal woman's body, size, shape, appearance, whatever, is as toxic as suggesting there is an ideal race. Like there's who, who determines the yardstick? Every woman's body is unique. She is the yardstick for herself. Mm. I'm glad you corrected me on that because I think that like I was a perfectionist most of my life. And not even just my body, but with everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Most of my friends are too. And it's almost like we pride ourselves in being like, perfect. And then you, you basically like lose your shit one day. Because you yeah. can't hold on to it, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I think that for us perfectionists, part of the journey is that our bodies forcibly eject us 
from this boxed in life that is too small for our soul. It's too suffocating for our soul. And that is the downside of perfectionists. Like, I do think we have this quality where we can really thrive as entrepreneurs. We're very self-motivated. We can, we have that quality. But the downside is unless we learn how to question the rules and the perceptions that have been passed down to us, we are the ones who are most likely to unquestioningly perpetuate that those internalized beliefs and internalized repression. Mm. Preach. Yeah. Good, this is good for good for us. We are breaking the mold. We're no, using really. our perfectionist skills in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And even, you know, in terms of sexuality, because I loved how you brought up some great points around that, about the new beach and really opening your eyes around that. Because the podcast and just doing this work, it's really opened my eyes to uh, kind of the term you used. I love that. Authentic sexuality. Like what is, that's what I'm constantly redefining for myself what is my ideal sex life? What do I desire my sex life to be like? Constantly exploring that because I think that that's something that we're, we're not taught, right? And so many people um, come to me and they're so bored or they don't even question it. They just do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, well that's key. We're not taught to ask those questions. What does my ideal self, sex life look like? All those questions that you just mentioned, you know, those are the keys to freedom whether we're asking it about our sex lives or whether we're asking it about uh, my, my career, my relationship, my family connections, my friendships, um, that, those, what, what does my ideal look like? Why am I making these choices? Those are such keys to freedom. Yes, definitely. Okay, so go back to what you're saying about the invisible corsets. Okay, yes, the strings. The so we did, strings yes. yes, so we got the first one is fear. The next one is domination. This is how women have been, well, all human beings in our culture have been taught to um, see our bodies as objects that we own, right? And so we feel justified in controlling, justified in force our lifestyle onto them. When I was writing this chapter, I did a very deep history dive. And one of the things that was interesting was learning and how the kind of pre-agriculture goddess worshiping societies that were across the globe had much more of a partnership model with their bodies, with nature, um, with other people. It was a less violent society. And then when more of the patriarchal worldview started to come in and it was a global movement, interestingly enough, it, it just really kind of replaced the goddess worshiping cultures across the world. Then we moved more into this hierarchical society, hierarchical viewpoint, which meant humans are more important than nature, men are more important than women, white people are more important than black people, and like somehow we are more important than our, our physical bodies. We can exploit and control uh, our bodies. Does that all make sense? Mm, yes, yes, okay. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the second string. The third string is disconnection, and this is, more of the uh, intuitive piece. And again, when I was writing the chapter on this string, it was so eye-opening to do this research and learn in how um, early ancient cultures, we were so in touch with our, I, I would say the language of our body, which is the language that all of nature speaks, that humans were able to have such a sense of connection and abundance with nature that is now foreign to us like we were able like in some tribes in Africa they were able to communicate telepathically when the hunting tribe would go off and hunt 
and the hunters would be able to track their animals based on blue lines they would see on the horizon. And humans were able to communicate with animals just by putting their hand in the footprint of an animal. They could actually project themselves and see from the eyes of the animal. Um, humans were able to listen to plants and hear the healing that they had to offer. Um, and that actually started to happen to me on my, my personal like psychic awakening journey where I would start to hear the, what they call the flower songs. And it was literally like this energetic music that was coming from the flowers saying we can energetically hear, heal these aspects of, of humanity. I did start making flower essences based on that. Um, and my products are at floralsong.com if that's interesting. If anybody wants to learn more about it, I write a lot there. Um, so that's a big piece, that, that disconnection. And so we have to know our history in order for us to return to that state of communication and oneness. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I love what you just said. So yeah, because it's almost like I always think about this too in terms of that's why I talk so much about feminine energy and I harp on it so much is because it, men and women, like mo none of us are connected to the feminine and then the earth is feminine. And so it's like we're mm -hmm. in this weird disconnection of that's a way of living. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't talk about the feminine energy connection there, but really that receptivity and that listening ability happens when we're in that yin energy state. Yeah, yeah and so many people are in the hyper-masculine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, which is about creating and controlling rather than you know, listening and communicating. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I'll definitely okay. check out your website, though. I love what you just said about the floral song. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so we're on string number three. String number four is mechanization. And this is another inherited perception where we see the body as a machine, something that is reliable and controllable, rather than actually an independent living being. And when I talk about this in the book, I do another history deep dive. Um, of how our, the scientific revolution really led humanity into one narrow perception of viewing the world. And I'm not saying that that reductionistic, materialistic, scientific perception doesn't have value or isn't, quote, correct, but it is one perception of many. And early ancestral uh, cultures would be like, wow, you guys are seeing such a complete illusion of the world because you have locked yourself into this way of, of believing that everything is real. Um, only that which can be measured by scientific tools is real. That's kind of the scientific perspective. And so basically how that evolved was through scientific revolution and Descartes, we decided, okay, well, the mind is separate from the body. And eventually we just throughout this concept that there's any kind of spirituality, um, any kind of higher force in the body at all, we are just reduced to our cells and atoms and molecules and hormones. And that is all the human experience really is. Which talk about disconnecting us from our intuition, it's basically saying you have no higher connection, you have no connection to the earth. Good luck with that machi machine you're living in. Wow, so interesting. Okay, so then when you connect all of this with the disconnection, the fear, the dominance, mm -hmm, the then you have those strings. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so you're perceptionally able to 
um, see with fresh eyes, basically, and, and start hearing your body at a different level. And then the last ring is, I would say, one of the most important, and that is coercion. And so this is how women have been um, limited by what I would call beauty propaganda, all the messaging of the beauty industry, also what I call beauty culture in the book, um, to believe that the choices that we're making about our beauty habits and our bodies are actually our, our own choices. They're not our choices. They are indoctrinated and we are acting in the best interest of the beauty industry rather than our own best interests, which is a sure sign that there is mind control and coercion going on. Um, and, you know, I hear so many women when clients come to me or I see social media comments about this where women are like, well, Lauren, I am choosing to get Botox. I am choosing to get cosmetic surgery. I am choosing to, you know, dye my gray hair because it, it quote, makes me feel good. It makes me feel confident. Now, the beauty industry is responsible for us having this idea in the first place because they say, oh, our products are empowering and it's your choice to use them or not. And so it's very feminist if you're choosing them and it makes you confident. Well, there is a degree where beauty products can be a form of self-celebration, right? And just adornment and expressing our feminine energy. So I'm not bashing beauty products in general. What I'm saying is we have to detox that cultural brainwashing to understand, am I really making this choice because I want to and because it makes me feel good? Or am I making this choice because I am trying to buy back my confidence from the industry that stole it from me in the first place, which is the opposite of empowerment. Ooh, that's so good what you just said. Yeah, because you know what's so interesting? I, I've never done Botox, but I'm shocked by the amount of women that openly admit that they do it and then brag yeah. about it. And um, so yeah, I'm 28, and I've had colleagues and friends who have been getting, both, quote, preventative Botox since they were 24, 25. This is such a manifestation of, like, we are taught to fear wrinkles as if it's some kind of disease that we have to prevent instead of treat, you know? And I used to be in this mindset. I was, I spent $80 of my babysitting money when I was 16 on an anti-aging eye cream because I was so indoctrinated and afraid of my body ever showing its truth. Um, so, and you know what's, what's interesting is uh, how Botox actually impedes the subconscious, um, like, yeah, evolutionary communication um, between our bodies because it freezes the face, facial muscles. And so evolutionarily, we have been taught to see those micro movements around the eyes as a signal of safety and connection so we can like relax more because really communication is about 10% verbal, 90% nonverbal. And um, what happens is Botox freezes those subtle micro communications, which is why a lot of people can feel a little bit like unnerved or unsettled when they're talking to somebody with a frozen face. Mm, that is such a great point. Yeah, because yeah, it does look, I used to live in LA a few years ago. It was so funny. I remember going to a white party and uh, some of the guys like were like, you know, and yeah. my girlfriends and I were like, that looks so weird. <laughs> I know it just doesn't, it doesn't, look natural but it also doesn't feel natural to the body when you can get tuned into that subconscious communication that's happening you're like oh this doesn't feel right my body's not getting some kind of message that it's supposed to be getting from the other person's body 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very interesting. Okay, so then they have all of this and they have awareness of, well, I'm living under this illusion. Then what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then comes the point where it's a fun, it's a fun self-discovery process where you get to dis- realize and discover who's yourself versus who else that has been programmed by these cultural messages and programmed by beauty culture. And I, the second half of my book is all based on these really like actionable, simple steps that people can take to do that. And the cool endpoint of this process is like some women, I, as I mentioned, will come out of this process and they will still love using their makeup. I have a lot of friends who are very, have a lot of feminine energy. They wear so much makeup and hair, even though they've done this own process in their own life. Um, and what's interesting is they're often told, oh, you shouldn't wear so much makeup because, quote, men don't like it or it's not natural. But that's just a sign that they're really truly expressing themselves, their true selves. They're not doing this for somebody else's approval or to fit in. And, you know, Dolly Parton and Dita Von Tiege, they're great examples that I go to all the time of women who are authentically themselves but um, express a lot of self-celebration through beauty products. And then there are other women who are going to do this process, and it will probably be similar to my experience, which was I stopped wearing makeup every day because I hated spending that time and that money. I just did it out of shame and embarrassment. Um, They'll free themselves from any fear of anti-aging. They'll uh, let their bodies be whatever size and shape it wants to be through intuitive eating instead of um, obsessing about food for their entire life, which is such a waste of mental energy. Um, I, I cut my hair. I used to do the whole hairstyling thing every day and it was just so much time. And so it's a very independent process. There's no right outcome. It is you coming out as your true self. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I stopped wearing a bra a few years ago. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I talk about that in the book. I'm like, I'm never wearing an underwire bra again. (laughs) <laughs> or uncomfortable pants, for that matter. Like these aspects of um, women's uh, fashion that basically give us the message being a woman is an inherently uncomfortable experience. Like so many of our clothes and our beauty processes are inherently uncomfortable. So we really have to, yeah, we have to heal that message that beauty is pain. We've been taught that for literal centuries. You're right, man. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember I worked in the fashion industry. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to do that. And I remember in, in New York, um, eating a sandwich once. And this lady was like, are you sure you're going to eat that? Oh, like, isn't that crazy? Like, that's, yeah, that's what my body is for, eating sandwiches, lady. Oh, really? Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you bring up a great point about, man, there's just so much relearning and developing a, a better relationship with our bodies. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, it's interesting as the more I I have done this process of deprogramming beauty culture, the more I've come to love clothes and fashion and give myself that permission because I wasn't trying, I'm no longer trying to fit what is trendy. I've really found my own style. um, And, you know, I I love good tailoring. I love good fabric. I, I love like more vintage style clothing or masculine clothing with kind of a masculine edge instead of, um, I mean, I I used to dress much more feminine because I didn't know how to express my true self. Like, I I have a lot of masculine energy and it feels really cool to be able to dress that. 
And um, so it's just, it is such a fun process I, for people to go through. That's what I got to is like, oh, this, this doesn't have to be, I mean, there is some uncomfortable and difficult self-work involved, but it's also fun in the process and a fun outcome. Mm, yes, definitely. Yeah, I like the way you view it because we don't want people to view it and uh, well, you have to go through this whole relearning process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do, but it's cool <laughs> but <laughs> at the same really. time. Yeah. Okay, so then they go through that. And then what about the whole connection with their intuition and their emotions? Mm -hmm. Well, the key here is through this process, you get to understand um, where you've been stuck and repressed through cultural messages, through familial messages. And not recognizing that is where so many women get stuck in resentment and anger and self-imposed silence and living these small lives um, or living within belief systems that don't really fit us, whether it is um, kind of success culture or in our workplace or whether that is a religious paradigm, whether it's the paradigm of monogamy or whatever paradigm it is, we can question and, and we can make in choices. I give exercises in the book um, to start tapping into your intuition and those choice processes. Um, but that's where we can free ourselves from that heavy sense of resentment, frustration, and stuckness. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Because to be honest with you, I had a lot of resentment. Um, because we're taught that our bodies are these awful things. And then it's like, well, no wonder why I don't have a healthy connection with it. And no wonder why I'm not having the fulfillment that I want to do sexually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what you're saying definitely makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I can give one exercise from the book if that would be helpful for people listening, if they wanted to practice or, or get started with this. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So one of the practices I recommend is called speed writing. It's a practice of journaling where you write so fast, you keep your pen moving and you're writing with a timer and you're actually writing faster than your hesitation faster than your conscious mind can edit. And as a result, you can start to tap into your subconscious and your intuition through writing. So one of the prompts that I use for my clients and I, in, in, in the book, I give directions for this is you set a timer for about six or seven minutes and you start writing, dear, your name, this is your body. And this is what I want to tell you. And then you just write, 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 keep your pen moving. Don't stop. If you feel like you don't know what to write, just write, keep on writing, keep on swimming. <laughs> and at the end of this process, you're going to have a pretty messy page. You're not going to have good grammar or spelling, but you're going to go reread it. And there will, there will be these nuggets of wisdom that your body has told you in the process. Ooh, oh my gosh. I'm going to try that. I'll tell yeah. you now. Wow. Give it a, give it a go. It's a really, yeah. it's a beautiful, exhilarating thing. And, and I've had clients who've had breakthroughs on the first time they've done this. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Cause it sounds similar. It's almost a different version of, have you heard of morning pages? Yes. Yeah. Uh, from the artist's way. Yeah. Yes. This is very inspired by that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's different. And I like it. Cause you say you'd go as fast as you can. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. That's the key. Okay, so then when they do that, they have these breakthroughs of like, give an example. Oh my God, my body was saying that, um, you know, we're not sick. Maybe we don't have this illness. Like, what would it be? Um, 
Well, I can give a personal example from my own life. <laughs> I was doing this process a handful of years ago when I was in a very toxic, abusive relationship. And I didn't really realize that. It, it was a slow awakening. Um, and I was journaling one day, speed writing, 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 writing. And then out of my pen comes, I am done, period. I circle that while I'm writing and I'm like underlying it. And, I, and then I, I'm so terrified of what just came out. So I keep writing. By the end of this, when I'm done with my journal entry, I'm just staring at the page and I'm like, there it is. That was the truth that was inside me that I was so afraid to look at, that I was so afraid to realize. And it was just staring back at me in such a powerful way. And um, I, I decided, okay, I, this feels terrifying to leave the relationship that I thought I would have for so, so long. And um, that, that was a, a key moment for me. So it won't always be that big, but it can be that big. Mm, I love it. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, looking back at that relationship, I'm so grateful for it because it was actually what allowed me to see the psychologically abusive dynamics that um, whether it's a psychological abuser in a relationship or beauty culture as a psychological abuser of women on a mass cultural level, because these abusive dynamics are the same. And the outcome is the same of let's control women and um, exploit our finances, our energy and our sexuality. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with you on that. And it's so great the way you really talk about this because it's so obvious when you say, oh yeah, that's definitely happening. But people don't realize unless you become aware of it. Right, in terms of the abusive dynamics of beauty yeah. culture? Yes, yes. So that's the key is um, realizing that a psychological abuser is anyone who says, I have your best interest at heart. I have your safety at heart. I want you to be healthy and happy and confident and successful. But their actions tell a different story. Because true intention is to equate your finances, energy, sexuality, or psychic energy, any combination of those. And when we look at beauty culture, we can see that so clearly. Beauty culture sending all these messages towards women of um, our products can empower you and make you feel happy and confident and get you the love life you want and the sex life you want. Okay, so women spend more than two years of our life in the bathroom getting ready. We spend on average over $200,000 on beauty products in our lifetime. If this approach worked, we would be elated. <laughs> like, we would be so successful. We'd all have our soulmates and we'd have great sex lives. Uh, so obviously this isn't working. And we have to um, start to understand some of these cult dynamics and abusive dynamics that beauty culture employs to keep women um, acting in the industry's best interest rather than our own best interest. Mm, yeah, definitely. One thing about birth control too, like I got on in high school because I had acne, but if mm -hmm. I would have known the side effects, I wouldn't have gone on it. That's so key. It's like we can't make choice unless we have more information, unless we have the full spectrum of information. So that's why women are being coerced, essentially coerced on birth control <clears throat> left and right, because we're actually not making medical choice because we don't have full medical information. 
we're not told this is the outcome on your hormones. Or if you want to get pregnant in the future, well, your hormones are kind of going to be out of whack for about a decade. Um, and here's, you know, you're, you're not, quote, balancing your hormones. You are blocking your hormones. You are really messing up the natural rhythms of your body. And we're not told the alternatives, which are here's how to get so in sync with your cycles, how to track your cycles, your cervical mucus, um, which is a very empowering process of actually listening to your body instead of silencing your body through these pharmaceuticals. Um, and I could get on my bandwagon about that because I think that is one of the biggest topics of our time is understanding the philosophy of medical choice and medical freedom and how we are being systematically coerced into a pharmaceutical model of medicine because we're not being told the scientific literature. We're not listening to perspectives that are outside of the TV doctors. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's definitely an area of passion for me. Mm, no, I feel you too, because I want a natural birth one day. So I'm trying to figure out mm. right, what can I do now, whenever that happens a few years from now, because I think that when I tell people that, they're like, oh, you sure? It's like, mm, that's the natural way, dude. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we've been doing it for a long, long time before Western medicine got in the, way, in the way. What's really interesting is, and I, I did a video on this recently, of the history of how intuition, herbalism, women, and spirituality were all systematically eliminated from Western medicine. Like, it's, people think this is the way it's supposed to be when, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We used to have um, a spiritual very feminist practice of medicine in all these early ancient indigenous cultures where it was in harmony with the body and where spiritual medicine was considered more important than physical, treating the physical body. So what's interesting was there was kind of a, a hierarchy of healers in all these indigenous cultures and the people who were doing the bone setting or just dealing with the physical body were considered not as important as the the shamans or the medical healer, the, the medicine people who dealt with the spirit realm, with dream interpretation, um, with clairvoyant uh, or psychic work, mm -hmm. they were considered the most important. That's where true, true deep healing was thought to happen. Okay. And women were often in this role. Um, and then over time, as this more patriarchal controlling model of medicine came in to being, and it actually, a big piece was when the oil industry bought out modern medicine in about 1910. Um, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> uh, it's called, something to look up is the Flexner Report. Um, and so I'm jumping around a little bit here, but my main point is that there, were, there was this trajectory to take out spirituality, women as healers, and uh, natural medicine all in favor of this pharmacological model that we now have. Mm. Yeah, that's why when you go back with the, uh, what, the burning of the witches. Exactly. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, women don't have the authority to practice medicine or to um, be in any position of spiritual authority because that was the new patriarchal model of religion that was coming into place. So we better... You better take out any women who, who are too independent or who know the, um, the old herbal practices of the day. 
yeah, it's quite disturbing. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I, <laughs> I see people who now are just like, like quote the science is settled around all these medications and listen to the doctors and I'm like you literally don't know what you're talking about until you can also look at the system from the outside, from the historical perspective. Um, otherwise, you are just trained into this thought system without questioning the thought system, and that is so dangerous whether it is about medicine or whether it's a religious thought system that you've been trained into when you're not questioning or a model of education or relationships if you are just trained into the thought system and you're not examining it from the outside good luck living a happy and fulfilled life yes and i love how you brought up in terms of like questioning everything because that's what i've been in process of doing and that's what i've worked with clients on too because i think that you know, it's like in terms of religion, right? Think about this. Mm-hmm. Most people mm-hmm. are in religion that their parents are. Mm-hmm. Right? What if I'm actually Buddhist or my parents are Southern Baptist? Like that doesn't make sense, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so empowering for people to learn what, what a belief system actually is. Like, because we're taught that it's reality, but it's actually beliefs that have been inherited. And whether this is religion or science or our beauty standard, we need to look at them as belief systems rather than reality, learn how to question them. And then, then we can actually have free will choice about what beliefs we want and what beliefs we don't. Yes. Which is, which is a scary process for a lot of people who um, don't trust themselves to exercise that kind of discernment or who don't want to make those big life choices because they're scary life choices, right? There's comfort living in the box. Um, there's security living in the box, but there's no freedom living in the box. Mm. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, because that's true empowerment. Uh, what do I believe about all of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to share my next book with you because um, it's all it's all about this with a lot of work in in, how, in terms of how to actually question those and belief systems and see Ooh, them. Oh, I love it. Okay, yeah. definitely. Okay, so where do you want to leave everybody with? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we covered a lot. We, I, I would suggest if, if people want to get started with this reconnecting work that we talked about, well, go get the invisible corset to have all of the exercises, but go do that journaling exercise that I talked about. Um, and that's just a beautiful practice. I also would recommend the flower essences uh, that I make at Floral Song. Those are one of the keys that I use Whenever I start working with a client, like right away, I get them on one or two flower essences that deal with um, unlocking the energy patterns around stuck emotions or repressed intuition. So one that would be particularly helpful is called Compass. um, And that is one that deals specifically with turning up the volume on your intuition in a very like natural, energetic way. Mm, I love it. Yes. Yeah. I'll definitely place your links below. Thank you so much for joining. Awesome. Thank you so much, Haley. I just, I love chatting with you. I love the work that you're doing in the world. It's so needed. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Listen, your work is so needed too. So this is really important. Y'all be sure to like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know your thoughts and I will talk with you next week. Bye.